Hey, Create Initiative listeners. A quick note, this episode originally aired in April of 2017. It's one of our most listened to episodes, so we wanted you to hear it again. And don't worry, Kyle and I will be back in a couple weeks with a fresh episode. So uh, just sit tight, check out this interview. Again, it was a great one, and we hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Create Initiative Podcast. The Create Initiative Podcast serves to bring you insights and techniques from people in the creative world. We serve to help fellow creatives connect, learn, and grow. I'm Jason Evans and thank you for joining us. On today's show, we are joined by Andrew Stone, the Global Production Director of Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Andrew has a long history of production, both inside and outside of the church, and we talk about that going all the way back to his first gig on tour. During our talk, we also discuss some of the challenges that Andrew faces as he stepped into the church world, most specifically in dealing with people. And let me tell you, what he talks about is so true. Like, I learned so much from it, and I think you will too. So let's just get right to it. Here is our conversation with Andrew Stone. In, in scenic Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now I'm, uh, I, uh, which was a pretty big departure from the Nashville, Tennessee area where I was before this. But I serve as the pro- uh, global production director here at Church on the Move. For uh, some may know that from Willie George Ministries, and if they've ever followed Gospel Bill, that was uh, the very, very wee beginnings of this church and ministry. So with my uh, with this job, I oversee all of our uh, production or our our global production, which means anything that happens at any of our campuses or our production outputs of any parts of our ministry aspects that kind of ultimately gets up to me. So I am the leader of the teams that make all that happen um, weekly. So it's, it's a cool deal and it's cool to be able to bring up young leaders into, you know, into understanding kind of the standards that we've become known for. So it's a, it's a cool job. It's a cool job. I get to do a lot of cool stuff that I used to have to do on the road and uh, I get to do now and I don't actually have to sleep in a tour bus and in planes so much. So it's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are moments that where that's a little bit nicer uh, than being on the road. There are quite a few moments. I, I, I like actually being in my home that I that I have a mortgage for and <laughs> driving my cars instead of leaving them parked at airports and stuff. So yeah, it's good. Well, yeah. And uh, I definitely want to talk about you on the road uh, here in a few minutes. But, but Andrew, I, I kind of want to maybe go back a ways. For people who are familiar with you, uh, I, one way I think we could put this is you like to rock. Um, yes, and, I do enjoy it. And so uh, I've always been kind of curious about some of your backstory, um, you know, beyond just the wearing a black shirt because you're in the production world all the time. But, um, you know, uh, where did your interest in uh, production and maybe even more specifically like audio uh, from yeah. a technical side, where did that all come from? Man, I would have to say um, a lot of that came from my parents and it's, it's, it's odd. I think it's odd to say, cause you're kind of like, yeah, I'm a self-made man, but dude, I don't think any of us could claim that necessarily. My mom always wanted me to become a musician. She wanted me to play guitar and all that. And like, but her version of guitar was an acoustic guitar <laughs> sitting around a campfire, that kind of stuff. And I was not into that. So I, I started learning piano, like a proper piano and all the theory that goes along with it at a really young age. And that was, you know, it's cool to play, but then the theory part just was really kind of a big suck for me, but it helped me really learn music very, very well. And I did that for years and years and years. Gradually ended up being a drummer because I found a snare drum in our attic one time that was my dad's. And I didn't know that he had been a drummer, you know, in high school. And so the music background, um, much to my mom's chagrin, became the catalyst that threw me into playing drums and being able to understand (laughs) how the drums worked, which was cool. So 
I did. That was really what I was going to do. That's what I had my sights on. I went to college. I, I went to college at Oral Roberts University and graduated from there. And I was all about drums. But all alongside all that, for all those years, my dad was a, uh, you know, uh, he, he did volunteer technical stuff at the church and for little side gigs, stuff like that. And I would always go hang with dad. And so I always knew, I mean, I knew kind of how the production stuff worked because I would sit on the floor while he was mixing. I would just sit there and listen and mess around or whatever, I, whatever I had brought, you know, to amuse myself with. Mm-hmm. But I started understanding what he was doing and what it meant and, and all that. So that was always sort of a, uh, it gave me an interesting background to then be a musician, which is what I, you know, was planning on doing. When I landed in Nashville, um, and really realized how amazingly awesome the drummers were there. I mean, I, I was pretty good and I had got to play on cool records and some, do some stuff, but I was not the caliber of these studio musicians who were just nailing it. Yeah. And it just was a natural thing to kind of go to the production side. And at the time I was finding out that for gigging drummers, the, the production guys were making a lot more money. So, (laughs) so, you know, not saying economics didn't have a factor in all that. Um, but I, I was always drawn to, to mixing and, you know, to try and to, to be an audio engineer and have a background in music gave me a real leg up versus a lot of other people. And for a lot of years, I mean, it's very competitive when you're doing, when you're just a contract production guy or a contract audio guy, it's very, very competitive. So it was cool that I had such a cool musical background. So I would approach my part of the, of the day from a musical standpoint. And I don't know, it just set, it just set things up where I could talk a little differently with musicians and I had a little better rapport, I think, than, than just being a simple technician. Yeah, and uh, maybe could we talk about that just a second more? How that the the background in music theory, how that did directly help from an audio production side. I mean, uh, you know, because especially in the church world, we get you know Bobby Joe who's ran sound for twenty seven years because mm. he started you know when they needed someone. But but um, like how how important was that music theory and being able to really run a mix? Yeah, it, it's huge. Uh, and I teach now. I, I, I'm fortunate to, you know, I talked about being on the road and I actually spend um, probably about a third of my time traveling now just talking about these kinds of things. I think we need to approach the audio console as an instrument. And I think that our fingers and our hands need to run that console just the same way that you would sit at a keyboard and play a piano or play a guitar or hold a drumstick or, or, uh, move the valves on a, on a trumpet or something like that. It's an instrument. We need to be as knowledgeable, if not more about the music we're mixing than perhaps the people on stage producing it. And I, I think that I hold that very strongly. I think you need to talk the language. I think you need to understand what it means when they're talking about intros versus courses, uh, bridges, outros. I think you've got to follow that. I think you need to be able to follow music, uh, and understand where things are landing. I think you have to talk that to be, um, or at least have some kind of knowledge in that to able to talk knowledgeably and serve the musicians we work with knowledgeably. And so I, I've never condemned my mother for all, well, I did when I was young, but now as I'm an adult, I've never condemned her for making me really focus on all that because it made a massive difference. Even, even when I was playing drums, just being able to sight read music and read a chart was huge. And that's what got me some of the gigs when I was first starting out versus other guys, because I could read music. So I don't know. I've, I'll never uh, knock that. I think it's uh, and there's, and obviously that's a general statement. There's yeah. some guys who've done quite well and, and are not musicians and that's great. I think now though, um, with as interesting and sometimes hard music is to follow, especially in the church world where there's some crazy songs out there with tons and tons and tons of lyrics. Yeah. And you've got to be able to know how to read wade through that 
to know how to give a proper mix. Um, it's a big deal. Well, I, I think it's, that's just some good insight. I think sometimes we don't think about it, uh, necessarily, but I, I can definitely see its value. And so I uh, kind of going back, you, you, you went out to Nashville. Uh, I was that after you graduated college. Yeah. So I, uh, I ended up only applying to one college. Um, I'm sure my parents were really pleased with me on that one, <laughs> but I just didn't get around to it. <laughs> I had a, <laughs> I was busy and as a senior in high school, I was playing in bands and I didn't have time to apply to college. Oh, no. So I applied to ORU. That was where my sister was going. And I was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I've been out there. Cool. So I applied and got in and that's where I ended up going. Um, so when I got done, I had a brief little stint at working as an audio engineer, um, there on campus at ORU and, and I got, uh, an opportunity to go on the road with an artist by the name of wait for it, Carmen. No way. Oh yeah, man. And, uh, Oh yeah. He lived in Tulsa at the time and he would rent out an arena here in town that was on campus of on the campus of ORU. Yeah. And I just happened to be wandering around the building. Uh, this was just a, I don't know, a, a month or so after I had graduated and we were in what's called shutdown, which is like the, the yearly maintenance time. There's no events, you know, and everybody can fix everything and not worry about working around a, an event schedule. And they were, they had rented the facility because all they needed was a building. They didn't need anybody to help them. And I just happened to overhear, um, I didn't know him at the time, but he was the tour manager sitting in, a, in an office saying how they had just uh, let go their monitor engineer and... He needed to find someone immediately. How in the heck was he going to find someone sitting in Tulsa? <laughs> and I heard that. And so I just, I stood outside uh, eavesdropping basically. And um, which I don't suggest doing that. But for me, it worked out pretty good. I sat outside while I was, while he finished the phone conversation. And then I just walked in and introduced myself. I have no idea what I was doing. I mean, I am not, I had never mixed monitors in my life. Um, I lied every way I could. Well, it was all lies, but I was trying to make it not lies. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah I know yeah. how to, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I had no idea what an in-ear monitor was because this was like 92 or something. So in-ear monitors were like pre-information age. So oh, you dude. couldn't just go look it up. No, yeah. there's no internet. I didn't have a cell phone. None of that existed. Uh, I didn't even, there was no email account. I mean, I, none of that existed. And I just talked my way in and he said, well, there's a rehearsal tonight with Carmen. If he doesn't hate you, I'll consider hiring you. But the tour <laughs> leaves tomorrow. Like, no kidding. Now, I have an apartment there in town. I'm a salaried employee. I mean, I'm like, what the heck? So I just turned. I was like, OK, that's that's cool. And I mean, I'm the biggest dork you've ever. I still am a dork. But I mean, I had like glasses with rose colored tint on them. And I mean, I was a complete idiot. And so I went and found the manager of the, the arena that day. And I said, I just want to tell you what I've done. I may have screwed myself, but if he likes me, I would like to leave. I would like to go. And I am very sorry. I would never, you know, you guys have been great to me. And he said one of the coolest things ever. Um, he said, I support you, Andrew. Uh, I knew when I first met you that you wouldn't be here long because you had some really big things in front of you. And I thought that was so cool. He didn't yeah. have to be that cool. And that's how it ended up. So I did the rehearsal that night. Um, and now if you remember 92, Carmen was the biggest thing going in Christian music. Yeah, definitely. He was doing, he was doing full arenas all around the world. We did Texas stadium. We did all kinds of places. Uh, I mean, he was it. Yeah, it was a big, big, big deal. And that was my very first real professional road experience. And I think I toured with him on and off for almost two years. Wow. And uh, yeah, so there you go. You know, I, I want you to know you you may have indirectly influenced my life because Carmen, I think, was my first seven or eight concerts I ever attended uh, because wow. at the, he would always return to ORU to the maybe center. Oh yeah. And uh, the free show, I think I got saved probably six of those eight times. So 
Uh, well, hopefully one of those took. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. So, but uh, yeah, I had no idea. That's, uh, and I know, it, you know, we may kind of laugh about it now uh, in terms of because of the time, you know, it's that, that was uh, 20 years ago, yeah. um, you know, but, you know, think about, I guess, A, for you to take that chance is was crazy on your part, but I mean, it definitely worked out. But then, uh, the, the, your boss, I mean, for him to just kind of have that belief in you, uh, that had to have really stimulated something in you even then, I would think. And it, it did. I didn't, I didn't realize just how cool he was, um, until many years later. And then I realized what he had said, like he had, he kind of said that tongue in cheek, like, uh, I didn't think you'd be here very long, meaning you're a terrible worker. But what he meant was, he knew that he could see maybe some twinges of, of some future greatness, perhaps I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm great, but it was a, it, it was like my first, uh, helpful and healthy kick out into the real world from, from someone who I did have a lot of respect for. And he was, I mean, they were very cool. Cause I mean, I dumped them in the lurch. I mean, one day of notice, <laughs> they still, they still paid me out. They still, wow. you know, all, it was very, very cool. But it was a, that was a crazy 24 hours. Let me tell you, because I had yeah. never, let me, I just tell you this and everyone can laugh with me. If you've ever been on a tour bus, they're, they're very, very, very nice. Um, even the really crappy ones are still pretty nice. And I asked the tour manager, uh, now he said, now you've, you've been, you've toured a little bit, right? You've traveled and done some stuff. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I got vast experience, of course. Uh, and then I said, do I need to bring a sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> like a complete moron? Because who, I mean, would you see a rock star getting on a tour bus with a sleeping bag or would you just kind of assume that there's bedding, you know, on the bus? <laughs> so that was, and he, he told me later, many years later, I worked with him for many, many years. That tour manager told me later, he said, I knew you were a complete liar on that first day. <laughs> but I also knew that anyone who was that willing to to jump through the hoops to do this uh, was probably someone that I needed to have on my team. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, huh. So, um, so I guess it wasn't all bad, even though I don't, I don't give that, um, I don't give those job suggestions to people now. I don't suggest they lie on their interview. But yeah. For me, I guess it did sort of end up in a cool way. Well, and I think there's definitely something to be said for going for it. Um, in, yeah. in, in certain opportunities when, you know, sometimes you, you do just, you know, yeah, don't lie, but you've got to kind of take a risk sometimes and, and just go for it. Have that conversation at least. Um, well, it, it goes back to, you know, so, so from there it kicked off a whole career of, of, you know, until starting to work at church on the move, I was a contract guy. I mean, all the way until, um, until 2005, that's all I did. I never had a real paycheck. Um, so it does come bring about a a statement that that some of us lived by is say yes to everything, Mm -hmm. say yes to everything. Now you'd kind of be like, man, that, that's sort of a weird tenant to live by. Well, if you, if you look at the spirit of it, it's uh, it's trying to be positive, like say yes to everything. A no is always easy to arrive at later, but a no is really hard, really hard to undo sometimes when you've already said it. Yeah. So he would, this tour manager in particular would, he told me that one time and I never forgot it. And that was essentially what I was trying to do with that carbon thing was like, I can do this yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can figure this out. And I was sweating bullets. I mean, I don't know if I used the bathroom for a week after getting <laughs> on that thing. Cause you just, it's high caliber all of a sudden. Um, you know, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah. But, well, you know, so, so you did that for upwards to 17 years somewhere in that ballpark is my math somewhat accurate there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, so like, what are some of the things I guess, uh, let's talk production wise, you know, maybe technically, what are some of the things that, that you kind of learned over time that, that really just changed the way you do things now? Man, for me, um, the biggest thing that I've, that I learned quickly on the road, and this has affected my, I mean, it's affected everything is about details. 
I mean, everywhere I look details uh, when, when I'm on the road, everything, everywhere I look details matter. Every single thing. Is this seat a good seat? Did someone pay attention to how this was hung from the ceiling? Did we get enough fuel in our tanks to get to where we're going without having to do a major fuel stop, which could cost us almost an hour of travel time? Did we, I mean, every kind of detail you can think of was the climate control set right for the artist's dressing rooms was, I mean, just keep going down the list. It's all built. The entire industry is built on details and the really good people and the really good tours are the ones that have someone paying attention to those details. So I look at what I do in the church world and go, details matter. Hmm. And so many churches, they don't matter. And I'm not condemning that. That's fine. For me, for wanting to do church the very, very, very best that we possibly can, um, man, I am all about details because that's what sets us apart from being good to being great. And I think God called us to that. And I think he expects that from us. So I take it real seriously. So I started realizing that, I mean, immediately first day on the road, I'm like, my God, there are so many, I can't even, my head is spinning. I can't even keep my head straight on just how we're supposed to do this with all these details. But as I started getting used to it and started getting into it, it became ingrained in me that they really, really matter. Mm Mm-hmm. And that has changed how I do my daily work. I'm not saying that there is never a time when you have to buzz past a detail because you just don't have the time because that happens. That's just life. We're all, you know, sometimes we all have to take a bite of the crap sandwich and just do it. But I'm telling you, we can still pay attention to the details. And that's something that's really cool to see now in the teams that I am uh, fortunate to lead is that we can talk about details and these young guys are starting to get it. Mm -hmm. They're starting to realize that like keeping, let's just use for, for example, let's just say keeping a clean backstage area, who would care? It's backstage. No one sees it, but yet all the people that pass through it, that sets the tone for how well you probably do the rest of your job. So if you keep that area clean and tidy and organized and all that, that probably says something about you or your team about how you pay attention to other things. All of this stuff matters and they're just little details. One or two here or there can get missed, but if you start adding up those small little details that we all miss over the course of a week or that our teams miss, it can start to fill up a pretty large bucket. And over time, that fills up a pretty significant pickup load. And then pretty soon those same details are very, very significant. So I would say that started from day one and it's still something that is very important to me as I just go through our days. And as I watch now other young leaders starting to do some of the stuff that I got an opportunity to do, it's something cool, you know, that I can, that I can see, uh, personified in them. I, I think that's great. Uh, like from, from whether it be on your time on the road or, or now at the church, like how do you, uh, the, the reference of the, the younger people on your team that now you're, you're seeing them recognize details. How did you, uh, d- deliver those details to them? Were you, are you just like very forthright and we need to do this, this, and this, or was it kind of a lead by example or was it, we do it this way and this is why, or how did, how yeah. do you operate? My, uh, my leader, man, I've never, I've never really stood back and, you know, put my hands in my pockets and thought about it. But I think my leadership style is more by lead by example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and, and I have, believe me, I've got issues and, and all that. But as far as when it comes to doing our, our part of the craft that we get to do, leadership by example is a great way to lead. Um, I think it's a lot cooler to have people work with you than just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not want to put my team in a room with a chalkboard and try to go through all of this stuff. Yes, they would retain some some things, but without the real world application and the real world walking it through, without that becoming internalized, 
from the actions they're doing. Um, I don't know if there's a better way. So that's just how I choose to do it. So as they get, as I would bring people in and we would start building a team that church on the move, for instance, this was just, it never was really a question of how we were going to do something. I would just say, Hey, this is how we're going to do this procedure. Da, 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 da. And that would just become the way we do it as other people would come in and the team got bigger and all of a sudden one team becomes three or four different sub teams and all that, you'd start realizing that everyone was starting to do the same procedures and process. Uh, but they were very detail oriented. So a lot of people have said over the years have said, man, can you send me your, your outline for Mm -hmm. how you lead? And I'm like, I don't have one. It's, it's walk your daily life and be a good leader and be a great example. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the best way. And don't be afraid to explain the why of what and how you're doing stuff. A lot of people don't explain, don't take a minute to say why. Here, here's a great example. Uh, f- I don't know, four or five years ago, I had a, a four interns that was like the intern, you know, dream team. They just four great people that had a lot going for them and they just, they were all, you know, production interns for us here. And we were building some massive set, big thing. Everybody had a chunk of it and they were just up in the shop. I don't remember what they were doing, like painting pipe or something, some terribly, (laughs) terrible job, dirty, messy, taking this huge, you know, gas pipe and cleaning it up and painting it black. And they have no idea what they're doing. It's just a bunch of busy work, right? Mm-hmm. So I walked by in a hurry to something else and they all just, you know, you know, they're definitely not whistling while they're working. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> all with downcast looks. And, and I just said, Hey guys, I appreciate what you're doing. Has anyone told you what this, what you're building? And they all kind of look at me like, Oh no, not, not really. Um, I said, okay, can I give you, uh, can I just give you the the big picture of what this chunk is that you're working on? Yeah. And they all stopped and kind of cleaning up their hands a little bit because they're all covered in grease and oil. And, and I just pulled out a few pictures that I had on my phone uh, or on my iPad or whatever I had carrying with me. And it was like a full rendering, a full picture, you know, graphical representation of this huge set. Mm-hmm. And I made sure they knew like all these pipes that you're building is what all of this is going to hang from. And it literally is the, it's the two by fours of this huge wall, if you will, that we're going to nail everything to like, none of this can work without these. And this is why you guys are here doing busy work right now. So we can go put these up. The light went on for all four of them. They all were like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Immediately the, the mood changed. Everything improved. They realized that they were a part of something big all because I took two minutes and just said, here's why and what you're doing and how it matters to the bigger picture. I think that is a huge example of how I wish to be led and how, and how I need to lead people in the future. I want to make sure I know what I'm doing. Is this just busy work? Cause I feel useless doing busy work or is this seemingly mundane task part of something much, much bigger? So that's something that we try to teach into our leaders now and into our team now. It's we're never, ever too busy to take just a second and go, hey, do you actually have you put two and two together? Do you know what you're doing? And it's so funny that even the the people that you think kind of should have it figured out are the ones that go, well, I yeah, I don't think I have a big picture of of what this is going to be. It's amazing when you supply that big picture how much some teams and such some personnel can rise to the occasion. Very, very cool. We'll get right back to our talk with Andrew in a second, but I want to tell you about our next Create Initiative gathering on May 2nd at Life Spring Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We're so excited to have Kyle Sheely join us again. Kyle is a great friend of the Create Initiative. And if you want to find out more about who he is, go back into some of our podcast archives. You can find a couple episodes that feature him. On this night, we will have dinner. We'll go back to kind of what we've done in the past. So be there at seven o'clock. 
you won't want to miss it. It'll be awesome. You can go to createinitiative.org for more information and also to register so we can get a headcount. We'll see you on May 2nd. Now, back to our conversation with Andrew. You know, you said now you're you're over global production, so you oversee uh, all the production there for the church. How much of this was stuff you picked up, like, while you were on tour? Like, I mean, did you kind of work your way up from, from mixing Monitor World to, to this, to this, to this, and it's all stuff you kind of learned, or are you still very much learning uh, there at the church? Man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, that's a loaded question. Yeah, that's it good. is. I, so <laughs> I will say, so here's the deal. I, I'm never done learning, and I know, man, I think as I get older, I am – having to work very, very, very hard to avoid, um, just to avoid some of the, um, oh, what's some of the being labeled, being labeled a certain way, like, oh, he's done this for so long. He's Mm -hmm. got this all figured out and all that. I do not want to be labeled that guy. Now I do know that I sometimes have a lot of the answers, um, and that sometimes, you know, my answers are no and stuff like that. But I want to continually be learning. And I don't know what that might be. That might be, hey, what, what are some of the newest, greatest audio techniques so I can mix better? Um, I heard this on someone's album. I wonder how I can pull that into to something that I'm working on now, to some kind of a project. Or, man, look at the way that group used those soft goods on their set design. Man, that is so cool. I wonder how I can make something like that work on a church budget. That's learning to me. Mm-hmm. I constantly go to concerts. I, I mean, I fly to concerts if it's something I want to see just to extend my brain and, and, and be exposed to something I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. So I tell people all the time when I can honestly tell you that I am not learning anything anymore, that's when I'm going to hang it up. That's when I'll, that's when I'm going to hang it up. Being at a church, I'm not learning that much about production because that's sort of what I'm here to provide. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about just people skills. And I've been now I've been at a major church for 12 years now. I'm still learning people skills, how to be open handed, how to be accessible, how to be adaptable, how to pivot with other people's needs that I may not be sensitive to or may not honestly care a ton about, but it does matter to them. And those, that's a huge deal. So I feel like production wise, um, I brought a lot of that here. Um, I did have to kind of recreate how to do production in a church because they wanted large scale production, but that isn't always easy Mm because we do have these pesky budgets we have to worry about. Um, but my time in the church, I think I've learned more about myself and I've had to work on my relationship with God. I've had to, I mean, those are things that like all of a sudden I don't have every single minute full of something and I'm not traveling every single minute. Sometimes that means you have to face some hard questions, right? Yeah. And, and working at a church, it's not just a, I'm not going to work. It's like, I'm going to a church and I am part of the ministry product of this church. And I'm part of the leadership of this church. And I have to, you know, I have to, to see it that way. If I come here to work at a church and it's just another gig for me, that's a pretty rough place to be. And I don't think I'd last very long. So Anyway, so that might be a long answer to the question, but this is, that is, that is, has been the cool part for me. I think that working here has made me a better husband. I think it's made me uh, a better leader. I think it's allowed me to actually really develop some other skills that I probably wouldn't have had a chance to do otherwise. Would you say, uh, you know, going back, especially when you first started at the church and, and you mentioned it's still a work in progress, but was that... Uh, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but like, was that something you really had to work on the transitioning from like now I, I do need to care about people or, or, oh, yeah, you know, dude. Yeah. dude, you talk about if there was, a, 
I don't know of a bigger jerk in the universe than probably what I came across as that first year because, <laughs> man, you think about it. I, I was paid by all kinds of people to go make it right. Essentially, that's what it was. We want our mix right or we want our tour to be run right. I, we want our our financial settlements of us playing some show to be done right. I want, you know, I want our, I mean, I want our crew to be right. I mean, there's all, and a lot of times I was getting called by clients that had, were rife with problems. Can you come just fix it all? So it's kind of a really negative um, outlook on what you, you're doing for a living, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're constantly being thrown negative and you're being asked to make it good. So I come to a church <laughs> They are not based on negative. They're based on positive and and happy, fun, sunny dispositions and all that. And here comes the long-haired, you know, road jerk who just – I would just be like, well, that guy's not working out. Let's fire him and we'll get somebody else in here tomorrow. They just don't work like that. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. They want to, you know, let's let's nurture and let's let's get to know the person and let's see if there's another struggle they're having. I'm like, man, screw that. The guy can't – he can't do the job. Get rid of him. That was just my whole thing because that was the road. Time is money. I can't afford two shows to have a problem, even if they're back to back. I mean, if I told you how many times we would stop on a tour bus through Nashville and drop someone off who was getting let go and another person would get on the bus in the middle of the night and and get in their same bunk that's still warm, Hmm. dude, that stuff happened. Well, that was my mentality. That's all I'd ever known. I mean, I, I said before, I, I never had a, another kind of job all those years since college other than production for hire. So thank God um, the person that I was working for when I started here, who's he was our creative director, and he is uh, Whit George, who's the son of our uh, founding pastor here. And he he's, he's younger than me and just he was brand new to this kind of a job and I think he was probably told that this is the guy that has been decided is going to work for you and do all the production stuff. So there was some weirdness there for a while, but I remember one or two times he sat down with me and it was probably a really interesting conversation from his side. I've never asked him, but he had to tell me that I was coming across like a jerk Hmm. and people thought I was a jerk and they're scared of me from, from the way I was acting. And he just said, you know, I'm not sure if that's the way we're going to be able to do this, which I took as you've moved to Tulsa. It might have been for nothing if you don't work this out. Mm -hmm. So there was some real uh, that was that was some real some sometimes when I first remember having to cast the eyesight back on myself and go, man, you're maybe what your wife said is true. You're treating people like a jerk. I just figured she was a, you know, a loon or something, but (laughs) maybe she was right. And I really had to work on it. And I'm not saying that I've got that conquered. I don't think you probably ever do ever can say that, but I have had to learn how to be gracious. That is not in my skill set, my natural skill set. I've had to be gracious with people. I've had to learn to love them even when I kind of want to hate them. Um, again, that is not natural to me. I've had to figure out their needs are very important to them and I can't discount them even though they're not important to me because they are trying to work as one team and all that. There's been a, so I tell you, like none of that has anything to do with production, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's all about just trying to not be a jerk and be a better person. And it, it is some of that's been really cool. Well, I, I think that's so good. And, and I know from your context, it's going from the professional production world into the church. But I mean, I think about kind of church today, we, we're seeing so much more production in the church. And, and you know, for better or for worse, we're seeing churches put on performances and shows and they've got, you know, their stage managers and seven cameras and this and that and that. And I think by default, if we're not careful, 
we begin to operate that church more like a touring production in terms of the way we treat people. And, uh, you know, and I think you saying that is extremely valuable because it's like, I mean, if we're not careful, we all end up doing that to the people that, that work with us. And so I just think that is extremely valuable. Yeah, it's a, and, and here's what's crazy is when I got here, there was no formula for success for the production side. It was how many failures can we mitigate immediately, right? Yeah. And then I'm not even trying to make progress. I'm just trying to quit the bleeding. And the only thing I knew to do was let me make this as much like a tour as I can. Um, From the way we patch the lines on a stage to the way we do the lighting to the way we organize our teams to the way we do our show calls and, and catering and eating, all kinds of stuff. Well, it worked. Because all of a sudden there was a process, there was a schedule, the details started mattering. So for me, in my head, I'm still on the road, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it's a road thing. Everybody's got handheld radios and earpieces. And I mean, we could essentially be a tour. We're wearing black. Um, you know, some days I wouldn't take a shower just so I remembered what it felt <laughs> like to be on a bus. Just kidding. Um, but but it didn't take very long where it's like we started seeing production, production success. Not, not that that was our goal, but we started getting some wins, Mm -hmm. which they needed to do And this new, some of these new things I was doing were starting to take. Um, we started renting some of the cooler stuff we were starting to do instead of having to buy everything. And that was something the church could handle financially. All of these things just started building, but I had to figure a way to keep that going somehow and to keep the team going without me turning everyone into a team of jerks because that was where we were headed. Right. I mean, yeah. I was like, well, we're, we're going to run this like a tour. So let's, uh, but it's like, man, you lose the sensitivity, the caring, the love, the great, all those things I talked about before you lose all that. Cause a lot of that's not there on most tours. It's kind of rough and tumble. Yeah. Not that they're terrible. You're a family, but it's like sort of a dysfunctional family, you know, who can go from fist fights to hugs, you know, over dessert. So that was some of the stuff that I realized I was starting to set a very, very poor example of, of where we're going to go in the future. And it took a while. I'm going to say that took a couple of years just to kind of get myself out of that mindset. Um, and, and to be okay with some things like, someone decided to resign and move on. It happens. We're creating leaders. It's going to, it's going to happen. That's people are going to leave. My mentality is let's go hire the first buyer we can get. So, so the, you know, so the seat's full. Mm-hmm. The mentality here was let's see what God has planned. Let's relax. Perhaps God has moved someone on to let somebody else rise to the occasion or maybe we need to adjust the team where that position isn't as crucial anymore. Let's, let's seek God. And that, and I was not used to doing that Yeah. because you know what? I had gotten really good at solving crap on my own. I'm not going to tell you that I prayed every single time on the road that I needed to make a big decision. I would size it up and I would go with my gut instinct and do it. Um, I wasn't insensitive to, to, you know, to the Holy spirit guiding me, but I would just make calls and I got really good at it here. I had to realize that that wasn't going to cut it anymore. I might be able to cut it. That might be able to get me by for a while, but somewhere I was going to have to realize you've got to go back to the basics here. Are you prayed up? Are you filled up? Do you have anything emotionally, physically, spiritually to give out to your team or to the people that are coming in the door every week? Those were some serious questions that I had to start facing um, here. And I don't think, well, I know that I wouldn't have faced some of those if I had still been living on the road. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I just, I mean, I'm sitting here just trying to soak all that in. I think it's, it's so important. I mean, I'm, I'm, thinking about it in my own context. And I think it's important for anyone in this, in this world to, to take hold of, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I want to switch gears just a second. Um, you know, uh, that was definitely a good place to wrap up, but if it's okay, I've got a couple more questions. Yeah, let's do it. Um, 
I want to dive a little bit more into to a mix. Uh, and you mentioned something about, you know, hearing like uh, a song and, and it, it stimulating ideas with you. Of like, mm-hmm. I wonder how they got that sound. And what it is, what is that process like for you? Like if you hear something and then try to figure out how to make it work in, in your context. Man, it's, it, that's a, I love that question. Uh, that could be, that's a topic all in itself. Um, I, I have a pretty good visual, um, visual mind. And when I hear things, I sometimes see in my head, like how that could be in a different setting. Hmm. Um, for instance, if I, if I'm listening to a Pink Floyd song, um, and I'm not talking about drugs and all that, I'm just, just a great, (laughs) you know, Pink Floyd song from, from the late nineties or early two thousands, they put out some amazing, amazing material. You get a visual image of just, of just probably how it felt to be in the room when they recorded that, or maybe a visual image of what it set, what would it would have been like to be in the room if you're listening to, um, to a live, to a live record at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's so that, so that's something that I listen to. Um, and I try to figure out how that could apply to something I'm in the middle of. So you're like, well, why, why in the world would Pink Floyd songs have anything to do with your mix at a church? Listen to anything I've mixed at church on the move and tell me you can start picking out influences that I've had and things that I've listened to. So so I guess I'm trying to tie the audio to the visual sense, you know, all together. I just have, and sometimes I remember the way I felt when I listened to a certain sound, yeah, like a certain journey song or journey record. I'd be like, man, that just, that was a feel good moment. That just sounded good. And I'll remember where I was or what I was listening to, or was it by the pool or da, 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 da. Um, or, so, so transfer that to where I am now and we might be in a similar situation and maybe we'll be in a song that hits the certain key that, or a certain, um, chord that was in that journey song. I will immediately recall those visual feelings and how I felt and what things look like. And I may try to attempt to recreate some of that auditorily. Now I know this has gotten real cerebral, but it's not that crazy. I'm, so I may go, huh, I wonder what happened if I tune the snare down a little lower, closer to like where Steve Smith had it on that Journey song. Man, I remember that crazy reverb they used all over the vocal that made it feel like it was real far away, but yet it was real close. I'm going to try to recreate, and I will just set about to try to do some of that. It's all drawing from this kind of these visual imprints that I've put in my brain. Yeah. So when I'm listening to stuff now, I really let there, if there's a moment that I'm listening to, I really let that moment happen for it. Like I tell my wife all the time, if we're driving somewhere and we'll pull into the driveway, she knows now after 20 years of marriage, we let the song play out. We don't just get out of the car. And I make, I tell her it's, it's respect to the artist. You can't just turn their song (laughs) off. (laughs) She just rolls her eyes at me, but she knows that I've probably got it. I've probably am sensing something about that song that I want to recall later and remember later making that putting a visual imprint with it is seems to be a better way for me to keep my brain organized. If that makes sense. Yeah. When I was at at ORU, I was an art major. Okay. Has nothing, very little to do with what I do now, but they did talk a lot about that and around how visual the visual sense is one of the most keenest senses that we possess as a human. And so art, that's why art leaves such an impression on people and why they have such opinions about it is because it, it's, it's a visual thing. Mm -hmm. So I try to associate things that I've heard with the visual side and it seems to work pretty well. 
Well, I think that's great. Like I've never heard the process explained like that, and but I love it. Like and and as you, it makes sense now. You said you were an art major in college because the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like this is so artistic and thought. <laughs> um, like it really, it really is. I love that. Um, and so now let's let's maybe take that next step. Um, as you're, what, is there a certain thing you listen for? Like the first time you hear a mix in a song, whether it be an album or whether it be in a house, um, what's the very first thing your ears pick up? Uh, the first thing I'm listening to, uh, I know everybody's going to assume it's drums that, that will probably be a close second, but the first thing is just tonal balance. Okay. Does, is, is this balanced as far as are there enough drums to guitars, to bass, to vocals can, and somewhere in that as maybe a sub part of, of this first thing I'm listening for is, can I understand what's being done? If this is uh, can I hear the words? Does it make sense to me? Is it balanced? Is the, do the tones work right? Has someone paid attention enough to maybe produce this a little bit and, you know, does that, is that apparent mm-hmm. or is this sound like they just threw it all together? That's like the first thing, my first impression from there, it cascades into a number of things. Generally the drums would be first after that, because I think that if you're going to get, uh, do a decent song, you've got to pay attention to your drums. Um, since they're kind of, it's like paying attention to the foundation in your house. I think you've got to pay attention to drums and bass first. Yeah or you're going to be fixing it later and probably in a cruel and unnatural way (laughs) (laughs) trying to, you know, trying to fix a foundation after you have a house on top of it. That's how I feel about that. But I think tonal balance is, is big time to me. And that's when I walk in and hear someone mix, I can just go, are you paying attention to this? I don't think you are because if you were, you would have your band up more and you would sync your vocals back because right now, all I can hear is vocal and choir and all that. I can't even tell what they're doing. It just sounds like a big mush. Um, that's a, those are just real basic instinctual things now for me. Mm-hmm. This is uh, trying to, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, so on the idea of tonal balance, are there any bands, uh, new or old, uh, that you just like, man, they have it whenever, yeah. whatever their production goes out. Oh yeah. Um, well there's four bands that I listen to for inspiration. Three of them are pretty, well, three of them may be similar and one may be a little off the track with them, but, um, I'm a, I'm a Pink Floyd fan. I've already kind of indicated that. I think that the way those songs were structured and built and the interesting words that they were able to sneak in there are really, really, um, epic. Now, I really like the live productions. Um, some of the old stuff on album, I respect it, and I own a lot of the vinyl, but I I don't love listening to it. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, Pink Floyd is there. Basically, anything that Rush ever put out, except for the first <laughs> record, is is in my, catalog, in my catalog. Yeah. Um, and I just admire and love that band so much. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. And it, it's honestly a little fatiguing sometimes to listen to them for a long time. But I love what they did. And I love what they did without without radio support most of their career. Um, and I love that it's a, it's three musicians without, without any excuses for all, why they needed to have a bunch of stuff on track or whatever. They just go out and play. I love that. And reading their lyrics is like reading poetry. So I, I just think it's amazing. Um, a third one. So these first three is yes. And the old yes stuff, it was a little, uh, a little 70 ish and a little, a little out there, a little psychedelica, but as they honed their talents in the eighties, um, there's just not, man, if you, if there's finer production of an album out there, I'm not sure what it is. Hmm. If someone's got it better. And then the, the last one, I, these are all just what I listen to for inspiration. The last stuff is, is most of the Tom Petty stuff. Okay. Tom Petty, and the heartbreakers, Tom Petty, solo stuff, uh, mud crutch, any of that stuff. I just think, um, he has got one of the I, I, well, not to, not to, uh, knock him, but 
his vocal is very interesting and unique. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but man, how he gets away with the crazy changes in songs from straight up pop songs to duets with people like Stevie Nicks to crazy, just rockabilly to all this stuff all based around the guitar and, and some really, really great musicians. I am really inspired when I listen to it and I will go just about anywhere to hear him live. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the four things you notice all of that's old. Um, there's not a lot of current stuff that I really, really just, just unpack perhaps maybe bands like muse. Um, yeah. Occasionally I, I really like the first couple of Coldplay records. Um, some of it kind of sounds all the same now, but you know, and that's bound to happen, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that would probably, if you, if you put me on an Island and gave me the catalogs of, um, those first four groups. So Petty Rush, yes. And, uh, Pink Floyd, I could be pretty happy as so, long as I had some good headphones. Yeah. So, so when are any of, uh, those remaining artists going to appear at church on the move? <laughs> I hope never. I hope, <laughs> I hope that I wouldn't have to, cause that would be, uh, trying to, um, combine work and play. And yeah, I would hate that, to do that because I enjoy getting to just enjoy what they do. <laughs> um, you know, that, that is a very, very good list. Um, for, for some of our listeners, they're gonna have to go way back to figure out who some of those artists are. Um, <laughs> It'll be worth the challenge. It, it will be. I, you know, out of that group, I have to say the one I'm least familiar with is yes. Um, but I will go back and listen, uh, to more of their work. So I will yeah, definitely go, check it out. Just go listen to, uh, 90125 and that has the song on it owner of a lonely heart that's track one which i'm sure you've heard go completely unpack the rest of the record and if you are not a changed man then you have a dead heart okay <laughs> i will i will check it out and i will okay. get back with you all um, right well andrew just to, to kind of close it up i do have uh i have two more questions that i, I want to ask you uh we we ask these to a lot of our guests um and the, the first one is what are you learning right now that has impacted you the most uh that's a good question um i think right now is and this is something that i really tried to focus on when this year started was to just control um, how judgmental I can be sometimes, even without knowing it. And I know that's something, you know, we read in the Bible all the time. Um, Don't judge lest you be judged. That's a real easy verse. But I think it's very, very easy for us to slide into being judgmental and standing around with our arms crossed and kind of, I don't know, maybe almost mocking how others do stuff or how others are doing things. When I was given the exact same opportunities as some of the things I'm kind of judging. Hmm. So if I could go back 25 years or 28 years when I first started, when those people shouldn't have given me a chance, they didn't judge me. They love me and they gave me a chance. And so I wonder sometimes why I don't, that's not my first tendency. So I, I really, that was something I really just tried to give some self conviction on and try to work on. And it's been cool because I'm in a church and it's surrounded by people who are, uh, you know, for the most part doing, not doing that. They're doing the opposite of that. So it's very easy to kind of, um, learn from their example. And I know that's crazy. I mean, I'm, middle-aged guy, mid forties, you know, I've done a ton of stuff, been all over the world, blah, 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 to still be dealing with something that Sunday school ish. But, but I think it's something to, to stay aware of. Hmm. And there's, there's certain people in my sphere that I just need to give them the benefit of the doubt because I got it and it helped make me who I am. So I think that's probably the, the one thing right now that, uh, that I'm, I'm still learning and it's impacting me because I'm, I'm convicted, I'm getting convicted all the time. I'm going, dude, for someone trying not to judge everybody, you sure did, uh, jump back on that bandwagon pretty quick, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. 
so that's good. Uh, that's real good. And I mean, I was sitting here thinking that the, it may sound Sunday schoolish, but I think the farther we get removed from Sunday school, sometimes the harder it is to remember those things. Um, and sometimes those Sunday school lessons were so simple. Um, maybe we should pay attention to them a little more, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, uh, this next question might have a little, uh, well, it may s- still be very, very spiritually significant, but, um, Andrew, I want to know what is the best event you have ever attended? Now you, you didn't necessarily, maybe it's one you worked if it was just that, that mm-hmm. great, but you said you'll fly to a concert to, yeah. to see the production side of it or see it. So, uh, what, what is the best event you've ever attended? That's a hard one because uh, I've, I've attended a lot of them and I've worked a lot of them. I've had some, I'm not being all weird here. I feel like I've done some concerts that I've worked where I almost felt like a, a, it was an out of body experience because <laughs> yeah. it was so amazing, even though I was mixing it. Um, hands down right now, uh, the first one that just, you know, and this is something I learned in art school. Sometimes when you have a question like that, just blurt out the first thing that you thought of. And that's probably the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is, this is, people are gonna have to look it up, but there is an artist by the name of David Gilmore. Yeah. And he is the guitarist for Pink Floyd. And there's a whole Pink Floyd thread here, I guess, in this whole thing. <laughs> well, Pink Floyd doesn't do shows anymore. They, they pretty much broke up and all that stuff. Well, David is a, he is the voice and the guitarist and he wrote a bulk of their really great songs that, uh, have just are just epic. So I got the opportunity to, I saw that he was doing four concerts in the U S last year and he's getting pretty old. So this could be, you never know. I mean, he, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't yeah. need the money. So he's doing four concerts. He did a couple nights, uh, in LA one or two nights in Chicago or maybe one night in Chicago and then, then another night in New York. And I, uh, so I bought tickets for my wife and I to, so we just flew to Chicago, bought great tickets right at near the front of house position, um, where they, where they mix and everything. And it was hands down the best event I've ever attended. I can, I mean, there were times I look over and my wife was crying because his hmm. voice is so perfect and it was such a great night and, and the music was so good. Now, here's the crazy thing. The, uh, the particular audio console that I endorse had offered me free tickets for that night. I elected to not do that because I just wanted to go attend. If you go, you know, in a business capacity, there's a little different mentality. Let's talk shop. Let's, yeah. you know, all that. I wanted to just experience it. And some people maybe call me a fool. I don't care, but that's how I, we just wanted to experience the night. And I'm so glad I did. Um, you know, I can always talk shop some other time, but, uh, it was hands down. So if you, uh, if you're looking for some music, that's just inspiring and, uh, and amazing, you should really delve into his catalog. It's got some great selections. Yeah, I, I bet that was great. Now, it, for this show, was it like full scale production audio video, yeah. or was it more scaled back? No, it was. Uh, it was in the United Center, okay. sold out. So there's like seventeen, eighteen thousand people there. It sold out in about four minutes. Wow, that tells you how quick. So I was able to buy tickets. Uh, at an extraordinary, extraordinarily high price. But, uh, it was one of those where, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to dip into the savings account to pull this off because <laughs> this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, so, but it was really cool because he had, it was basically like seeing a big pink Floyd show. Yeah. A lot of they the did same all the psychedelic light, light show. And all yes. That stuff. Yes. The huge circle with all the crazy lights and all yeah. that. And, and it's so cool The you know, I had, been fortunate enough to work with the, uh, lighting, uh, designer for his, his tour and all the Pink Floyd shows. He and I worked together for two or three years. Um, he was the designer for another artist I worked with and it was just cool to see some of that work and how good it was in person. So it's good. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you got to experience that. 
Yeah. So I bet it was cool. Well, Andrew, uh, we, we got to get you out of here real fast. Uh, how can people connect with you online? Man, online, it's 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 pretty easy. There's a couple different ways. Uh, you can always hit me up on Twitter, which is uh, at stone underscore rocks. So at stone underscore rocks. Uh, Instagram is starting to, that seems to be the latest thing everybody's looking at now. Um, so on that one, I'm just stone dot rocks. So there's sort of a theme there <laughs> and I've got a, you referred earlier, there's, there's a lot of blogs and all kinds of stuff that I've, I've been able to write and put out a lot of just information on some things I think and how we do stuff at church in the move and all that. Uh, you can look at any of that stuff on our seeds website, which is, um, that's seeds dot church on the move.com real easy to find. And there's a lot of great material out there on just maybe stuff to just give you a great idea on something you can do in your own situation. What if you had the chance to share your video and design work in a creative collaborative environment? Now you can at the Create Initiative Film Festival. The Create Initiative Film Festival is an evening designed to inspire and develop local church filmmakers, cinematographers, and designers. By working together, we can all become better at our craft and become better in serving the church creatively. The Film Festival is July 24, 2018 at Circle Cinema in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy popcorn, prizes, and watching your film on the big screen. Prizes will be awarded for video and design categories, and a complete list of details is online at createinitiative.org. It is free to submit your work and to attend, but the deadline for submission is July 13th, 2018. We'll see you on the big screen.